This is the Blacklist Podcast. I'm Franklin Leonard, one of your hosts, founder and CEO of The Blacklist. And I'm Kate Hagan, Director of Community at The Blacklist. And we have a very exciting guest today. She's one of one, our luminary label mate with her podcast, Here to Slay. I don't know. I just couldn't be a bigger fan of her. She's the queen of the Twitter clapback, a contributing opinion writer for The New York Times and a New York Times bestselling author. If you haven't read Bad Feminist, read Bad Feminist. This was a good one, Kate. Like, I know I say that a lot, but this was a really good one. Yeah, I was super excited to get to chat with Roxanne about all sorts of media. One of my favorite things about her Twitter presence is that she sort of covers the entire spectrum of everything happening from Love is Blind to Magic Mike XXL. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about her time writing comic books for Marvel. And then for me, something super exciting, we're going to dig in a bit about representations of fat characters in media, which to me is one of the last taboos and one of the last sort of diversity inclusion conversations that we need to be having and often are not having. So it was great to get to talk to Roxanne about that. It was also great to just get to listen to you and Roxanne talk about that. I think I learned a lot, which is something that has happened a lot with both Roxanne and you for me. So thank you for that. Also, we talk a lot about Fast and Furious, which is becoming a theme on this podcast, but we're just going to go with it because if Roxanne likes it, how bad can it be? Anyway, without further ado, as I say, I'm realizing every time, Roxanne Gay. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So we love to begin each conversation with the same question, which was, can you remember the first movie you saw in a movie theater? That's a great question. The first movie I think I saw in a movie theater was The Empire Strikes Back. Can you set the scene for us? I feel like the movie, the movie always matters, but like the specific memories associated with the experience are the things that, that I'm most interested in. I don't have that many specific memories. I have very few memories from my childhood, but I do know that was the movie I saw. And we had heard about Star Wars and knew the general gist. I was only three years old when Star Wars came out. But when Empire Strikes Back came out, we knew it was like this really popular film and we really wanted to go. And so my mom took us. Did you become like a big Star Wars fan at that point? Like, are you still a Star Wars fan? Or does that happen just to be the first movie? I am a Star Wars fan. But I'm I'm a Star Wars fan, but I'm not an avowed Star Wars fan. I, in that, I don't treat it as a sacred text. And 
I don't get as deeply invested as some of the more toxic fans get. So I appreciate it. I see its flaws and I am not so enamored with the franchise that I'm unwilling to watch it grow. I I appreciate that precision. (laughs) Uh, Was there a movie that you watched later on that made you fall in love with movies? Or would you say that you're, I mean, I'm just operating on the assumption that you're a movie lover. I'm just wondering when that turn happened. I am a movie lover. I love movies. So when, so when did, when did that turn blossom? Like, was there, was there a moment or like, did it happen very slowly and all at once? Like, how would you describe that evolution? You know, I think it happened immediately when I would see, you know, I just loved the entire experience of going to the theater and sitting in the dark and looking at the images 10 feet high. It was just such an intoxicating experience. And just to be able to lose myself for two hours was always incredibly hypnotic. And the older I got, you know, the more invested I became in the kinds of stories that I was watching on screen. And to this day, I still love movies, even though movies don't seem to love us back right now. They're so terrible. So you, it's, so you think that we're in a moment right now of just sort of like, on average, bad movies? Like, is it worse now than it has been in the past? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think we're, some really incredible movies are getting made right now. Uh, last year in particular, I thought was a really strong year for film. But Kate and I agree. Y- oh, good. But, you know, yeah. we, we've actually had this conversation like in the office multiple times. Yeah, I was really, you know, like I was really impressed with Last Black Man in San Francisco, which did not get as much shine as I thought it deserved. And uh, Tashina Arnold was just for sure. So wonderful. And it was such a quirky story. It was great to see a story featuring a black man or two black men, actually, that had the sort of auteurishness of a Wes Anderson film. And so that was just great. And I hope that we continue to see more of that. And But while all this great filmmaking is happening, it's not getting the attention it deserves. And the mainstream stuff that's being pushed out is barely sentient. And it's it's cynical. And, you know, of course, since I love movies, I, I see almost everything. And because I travel so much, I literally see pretty much everything that comes out in a given year. Uh, because I watch it on the planes. And, you know, when you're flying to Singapore, there's nothing else to do for 20 hours. So you're going to watch quite a few movies. And I'm just appalled by just how bad the movies are. They're not even trying. And it's frustrating because it doesn't need to be like this, especially when studios are spending, you know, 200, 300 million dollars on these movies. And it's like they don't appreciate the value of a dollar. Yeah, it's interesting because I've made similar comments where it's like I have I love a big studio movie when it's done well like just I don't care if the movie's made for a dollar or 300 million just make it good and I and more often than not the failure I see is at the storytelling stage it's it's not it's often not like the directing is Mm -hmm. sort of like offensively bad or the acting is bad in fact there's a lot of great actors in these movies doing their best with stories that don't matter uh, or don't make sense um, and then don't even do that part in a fun way, which is the most offensive thing to me. Well, that's what's so frustrating. It's that these films are competent. And I don't think there's anything more offensive than competent blandness. Because at least films that are spectacularly bad, they really like 
put some effort into sucking. But these milk toast films that are neither here nor there, that are completely immemorable. Like, I can't even tell you some of what I watched last year because it was just that bad. I, I remember watching, I think this came out two years ago, Chips, which was a remake of the old television show. And the television show was not yeah. a comedy. And I think they were trying to do what 21 Jump Street successfully managed to do, which was create a humorous but engaging and fun franchise and then sort of be like, okay, you know what? Three is enough and we're good. And with Chips, it was so nightmarishly bad, as was Baywatch. And to see them squander these franchises that people, certainly my age, would have been very willing to invest in uh, emotionally was just incredibly frustrating, especially when you look at what the budgets were. It's just upsetting. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I think the one bit of optimism I have about that is that sort of based on conversations that I've had, people seems to have learned part of their lesson about those movies specifically uh, and specifically the rebooting of 70s and 80s fran uh, television franchises as movies. But, you know, time will tell. Um, you mentioned watching movies on planes, uh, which, you know, following you on social media, I know that I feel like you're on a plane literally every three days, uh, if not more frequently. Mm -hmm. What is the weirdest place you've ever watched a movie? Huh. I think the weirdest place I've ever watched a movie was in my car, um, which is not that weird, but cars used to have DVD players in them. <laughs> <laughs> and oh right yeah uh you know Wait, so were you in the back seat or were you like, what was the dvd setup in this car that i mean that you were watching it in your own car i used to drive a lot because i lived in the midwest and i right. i needed to amuse myself during these incredibly long drives when i was driving to various book events and this was back when i was a broke writer and this was before i had weight loss surgery and so i couldn't afford two plane tickets and I was not yet at the level where people were paying me to come or would fly me out. And so I was right. doing really long road trips. And so even though you wouldn't be able to see some of the images because of safety protocols, you could hear <laughs> a movie. Driving. And then, of course, once we could watch movies on devices, I would just prop up the iPad on the seat next to me and listen to it. And so I have watched a lot of movies in my car. That's a good one. That would be the best answer we've had. Yeah, and it's underrated, like, I don't know, especially a movie you know really well, like putting it on in the background, almost like a mm -hmm. podcast. Like, I do that all the time. It's like, I don't need to see what's happening at this point. It's nice to just kind of like, listen to this is room tone. Um, kind of in that same vein, you know, uh, we like to ask about uh, representation on screen. And when the first time you saw a character in a film that felt like it represented you. Now, the interesting part about this question is that a lot of times people haven't seen characters who resemble themselves on screen. So that's a totally valid answer, too. Yeah, I would say I have not yet seen a character that really adequately represents me on screen. I've certainly seen Black women on screen, and we're seeing more of that, though not nearly enough. But I have not seen healthy and reaffirming representations of fat, black, and or queer women on screen um, as in a way that really resonated with me. 
That's a great segue into something else I wanted to talk about. You know, as a fat woman, I also am constantly thinking about, you know, representation of fat characters on screen. And you've so eloquently written about your own experiences with weight through hunger and through a number of your other essays. But I don't know if you feel this way, but I often feel like, you know, fat characters are kind of the final frontier when it comes to inclusive storytelling. Mm -hmm. Are there any pieces of media right now that you think are getting sort of the fat experience right? I do feel like, you know, even people who are sort of woke in other ways still have a subconscious bias there a lot of the time. I wouldn't even say that it's subconscious. I I think it's very conscious and I think it's very prevalent, especially in Hollywood. I um, I can't tell you the number of meetings I've been in where um, executives have said, okay, can we tell this story but not have the protagonist um, be fat? And that's incredibly frustrating. They're so convinced that people don't want to see fat women on screen. And meanwhile, fat men have a flourishing career on the screen. <laughs> it's frustrating. The one piece of media that I think has done a reasonably good job is um, a Shrill, uh, which is a television show on Hulu. And it's not perfect and it's very white, but still it has a fat character who is more than just her body, even though that is part of the narrative. And she has relationships and she has friendships and she has a job. And it's, you know, a very low bar (laughs) that that's what we're looking for in a character. But, you know, that's where we are. It is kind of insane when you think about, you know, if you look back at the sort of like history of fat women on film, there are like, a dozen movies where the plot is not, I want to yes. lose weight. I mean, like, I remember being a kid and seeing Hairspray and just being like, oh, the fat woman can be the lead of a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that really gets at this sort of, you know, I think people are clearing this incredibly low bar and they're like, we did it. We fixed representation. Yes. And then they're really self-congratulatory about it. Like they really want their cookies for treating fat people as human. And that's incredibly frustrating. If you had sort of uh, money is no object, keys to the kingdom studio movie, what kind of story would you like to write about a character who is fat and lives like a totally rich and complex life beyond that? You know, I don't know. Um, I do, you know, I don't know because it's just. Roxanne's not giving that away for free. Come on. That's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now, Kate. It's a great question. Don't get me wrong. I just feel no, like if, um, if Roxanne actually, had that answer. No, it's a great question. Actually, the easy answer is that I'm turning hunger into a film. Oh, fantastic. And so we'll see what ends up on the screen. You never know. What it starts out as and what it ends up as are two very different things. Are you writing the screenplay for Hunger? Yeah. I am writing the screenplay. Um, it is actually going to be on Lifetime. Oh, that's great. I love the rebrand that Lifetime has done in the last five to ten years. It's really incredible, and they have not gotten mm-hmm. enough kudos for like really transforming a brand that was already strong and making it even better. Um, and I feel like, you yeah. know, it's alongside it's, like some of their nonsense. It's good. There's good stuff happening. I think, you know, particularly for women, it's like, yeah, guys, these Lifetime movies are great if you embrace them. So the fact that people are kind of getting hip to the fact that like, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff on Lifetime, guys. You just got to like look beyond the sort of uh, sensationalistic headlines. I'm going to go even further. I was in a meeting there three or four months ago. 
and there was a whiteboard with a list of projects. I'm telling you right now, every single one was a hit. Literally every single one was a hit and like actually interesting. So like those of you who are listening are like lifetime, really. I'm just putting a marker down. Within the next three years, it's going to be even more what you just said, Kate. I'm calling it now. Like every project I was like, y'all are doing that? Oh, 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 I guess I'll be watching that. They are really stepping up their game. Like they have their bread and butter, which is the sort of melodramatic, unrealistic, but deeply compelling <laughs> sort of pop boiler drama. <laughs> it's like, this, it's not even bad. No, I mean, it's I love those movies. I, when I say I love a Lifetime movie, I am not being ironic. I love those movies. But they're also doing more serious programming too. And the reason we actually ended up going with them is because they are interested in doing collateral programming around the film to talk about sexual violence, to talk about fatness. And even though, you know, we're still finishing, you know, the deal part, um, I'm encouraged and I'm really glad that someone is willing to put a fat black woman on the screen. Uh, that's, you know, it's a step forward. You said we. Are there other collaborators that we should also be excited about? Uh, no, I'm doing this one by myself. I uh, mean, no, I, I mean, I have a great producer. And okay. um, I like the executives that I met. But in terms yeah. of the writing, I'm going to be writing it on my Got own. It. I just wondered if there was like a director already attached. but uh, Not yet. Not... No one's attached. Got it. Uh, that's good, though. That means you get to, like, Hopefully you'll be able to write the version of the movie that you want to see and then someone else can uh, so. execute your vision rather than as it so often is vice versa. I was just going to say, I'm I'm trying not to, I'm just, I having been down this road once before now, I am, and seeing how it ended up, I am just going in like whatever happens, happens. So we'll see. So look, we just talked about Lifetime movies. Usually we talk about like the cinematic canon first and then pivot to this, but I feel like we're going to start here and then we can back into the canon. Uh, mm -hmm. What is your favorite movie that everyone thinks is terrible that you will defend forever? And I feel like you have a long list of these. There's a very long list, but we can start with the Fast and Furious franchise, which is the best franchise of movies ever made. I agree. Um, My proudest moment is working on Fast and Furious 5. I know. That's why I like you. <laughs> I think it is, as I recall, I do recall mentioning this in our first conversation and the dynamic visibly changed, which I was very happy mm -hmm. about. Oh, yeah. I'm an easy sell. Look, whatever works. Proximity to the rock. But it, the movies work and they, they just work. And I love that they work. They're so fun. Even the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff was better than it needed to be. I was totally delighted by it. And now that they are so popular, they they embrace the absurd. And so flying tanks and, you know, air parachuting cars. Why not? What else? Oh, a submarine? Gotcha. It just, it's incredible. So yes, I will defend that to the death. The, uh, the rumor is, is that the last installment, whenever that comes, will be in space, which I am very pro. I believe it. And I've already mm -hmm. got, it should be an alien invasion. And the tagline should be, this time, family is all of humanity. Um, I have not <laughs> sold Universal on that, nor do I think they're aware that, that I've been tweeting it. But I stand by that as a conclusion and will until my dying day. 
I think that there's definitely something worth looking at there. <laughs> We're generally very anti-guilty pleasure on this show. If you like it, you like it. There doesn't need to be a like ironic liking of things. And one no, of my no, favorite- No, that's pro-guilty pro pleasure. Pro oh, anti-guilty pleasure. Anti-guilty pleasure. Anti like, the concept. The pro concept. whatever you like. Yeah. Got it. You okay. like what Just you like. Just making sure. Just making sure. <laughs> yeah. right. uh, and one of my favorite things about your online presence is you are absolutely unapologetic about liking what you like and offering really deep, fascinating analysis of things like Magic Mike XXL, which is pure cinema, or Love is Blind. Why is mm. it so important to you to provide such thoughtful reads on media that a lot of other people just dismiss outright? Well, because it's all part of a spectrum, you know, this idea that reality television and trash TV is somehow in its own world, separate from the pandemic that we're currently dealing with. It's just not true. It's, it's a false binary. It's not either or. These things are all part of the culture that we're living in, and they reflect our values. And I think it's really important to interrogate that and interrogate those reflections and who's represented and how we're represented. And so I do try to direct my cultural criticism to the entire spectrum of creative output that's out there from um, there's this incredible French show I'm watching right now called Philharmonia which is really beautifully done and I think offers a lot of interesting things about women and power and mental illness. And it's just so great um, all the way down to a love is blind, which the first season of we're still watching and the production values are so hilariously bad and their budget was clearly $30 for this set. Mm -hmm. And they were like, let's go to the dollar general and work this out, which they did. Uh, I just love that we can have a conversation about this, that range of cultural output. Wait till you get to the weddings on Love is Blind. You don't know how right you are about dollar general. I am super excited about the weddings. <laughs> oh, it's it's a lot. Like a lot, a lot. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Um, what's your ideal movie watching setup, Roxanne? Like in the theater and at home. Like where in the theater do you sit? And then what's your like home mm-hmm. viewing setup like? In the theater, I sit on the aisle always. Uh, generally not in the first few several rows, but like in the first few rows of the stadium side. So um, that I'm up there. I'm tall, so it doesn't really matter where I sit in that regard. And um, yeah, that's it. In At home, I have a very big television screen and it's curved, which is fun. And I also have a sound bar and I like to watch movies with the lights off, but my fiance likes to watch movies with the lights on. I so have that a part similar is issue, Roxanne, and it's sort of it's unresolvable. <laughs> and yeah, it's really unresolvable because someone who needs to be in the light like a flower, because <laughs> she's so beautiful, you know, yeah, she needs to be in the light. I get it. But, but we're I right, though. I'm a creature of darkness. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Like the darkness of the movie, like I, I can just lose myself more in it. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a battle. I'm going to clip this and play it for my fiance so she can understand what I what I need. I encourage you to do that. I highly recommend a in-between solution, which is what I do. I have a strand of purple Christmas lights. So I have all the lights turned off for a movie, but I have like some ambient mood lighting and then you like fake like you're in a cinema. Mm. It's a good time. Uh, speaking of, you know. Sounds sexy. It's it's pretty sexy. You know, it's usually just me in my house, but it's. Uh, <laughs> Kate is Kate is like, it's Kate basically lives in permanent bisexual lighting. I think we just yeah. also have to see that. Mm-hmm. And it's also true. introduced me to the concept of bisexual lighting, uh, which was mm-hmm. an educational day for me. Actually, and now I see it everywhere. Also, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> I have one of those LED Literally lights, everywhere. yeah, that like rotates colors, and I have a setting that's bisexual. It's very good. Speaking of, you know, getting into the the cinematic canon and sort of digging in in home viewing, is there anything in your sort of watching life these sort of great films uh, as designed dined by the powers who be that you just don't want to watch. You're not going to watch it. Anything that you refuse to watch. Oh, pretty much all of the canon. Interesting. I just, no, I never got around to it. And um, no, I did recently see Rear rear window because it was on and Deborah asked me to watch it with her and I loved it. So I'm not necessarily opposed to all of it, but there are some movies that I just don't feel like I need to watch. Um, Miracle on 34th Street or 40th, whatever the fuck. Yeah, it's 34th. Um, I don't need to watch that one. I'm good. I understand the plot. I understand, like, I got the gist. Uh, so I'm fine with that. North by Northwest. I'm also good. I don't need to see it. Uh, I don't love black and white films. The only black and white movie I've ever really loved was Cape Fear, which is phenomenal but um if someone suggests a classic film to me i will watch it so i i try not to be too set in my ways about that yeah i mean it's interesting you're describing you're like not interested not a priority and then you're like here's a list of things that i've for whatever reason ended up watching and they're all very good i'm curious is it just you're like, I'm not going to prioritize it because there's all kinds of other things that I can and should be watching. But if I end up watching it, I'll keep an open mind. Or is there another dynamic there yeah. that maybe I'm missing? It is that. Okay. 
No, that's it. I mean, the thing is, the reason the canon is the canon for a reason, and this applies also to literature. Uh, there generally is something. There's something excellent about it that is worth appreciating and considering and thinking about, and so on. But when you look at whose stories are prioritized in the canon, you know, as a black woman, I just don't feel like I need to watch white men have their struggle journeys. I, I get it. Like I've, when you've seen one, you've seen them all. Like I don't need to know much about their interior lives. I'm good. I'm fine. And I would rather seek more contemporary work that at least acknowledges that people of color and queer people exist. And so it's more about that than it is um, just like a, an inherent resistance to the classics. I do. Re I respect why they're classics. There was an interview. I think maybe it was in the Guardian that you gave. Might have been even just a couple of months ago, and you talked about advice that you give your students that I feel like is being mirrored in this conversation. Where you're, and the, the advice was, I'm just going to quote it: read diversely. And I'm not talking about demographic, though that's part of it. Aesthetic mm -hmm. diversity, genre diversity, it matters because it makes us better informed and it protects us from our worst instincts. It sounds like that's advice that you would apply to all art, but I'm curious if it differs at all between sort of words on the page and movies uh, for whatever reason. No, it doesn't. I, I think that diversity is incredibly important and that all too often people water down diversity and make it this just demographic issue. But I really want my students to read diversely in terms of aesthetic and to recognize that diversity exists within cultural subgroups so that not all Black writers are going to tell you the same story and not all Asian American writers are going to tell you the same story. And so I, I am think it's incredibly important across all art, whether it's theater or visual art, um, even within the visual art subgenres, literature, film, you know, really stretch yourself. Music as well. Um, you're going to be such a better person. Your critical thinking skills are going to be so greatly expanded if you don't narrow your options to only what you like. That said, we like what we like. And so, you know, I do have things that I love that I go back to and genres that I love that I read more than others. And that's okay too, but you can't do only one thing to the detriment of the breadth of creativity that's out there. Through your teaching, you have access to young folks in a way that most people don't. I feel like, you know, we have a lot of assumptions, particularly about Generation Z and their media habits. Given the current state of affairs and these sort of, you know, oh, Generation Z only wants to watch Quibi or TikTok. They don't even watch movies. What's been the most surprising thing interacting with young folks today about how they consume media? Hmm. I think the most surprising thing is the kind of things that gather their, that capture their interest. I'm just like, oh, that interests you? Okay. I don't judge it. It's just different. And so that part's like, when I, I, I was very resistant to TikTok, I literally downloaded it about two weeks ago. And. Wait, are you posting on TikTok? Hell no. Okay. I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to make sure, because that, by the way, might have been the thing that made me download TikTok. I have resisted. <laughs> not but yet. That, I, that would be enough. I'm not going to lie. I would it's do it. It's too confusing. <laughs> I don't want to learn another goddamn platform. After Snapchat, I was done. 
Um, no, no. <laughs> but I look at it and I, I just think, oh, it's, that's not funny. That's weird. It's creepy. Um, it's very, very frustrating. Uh, but it's also important, again, like in terms of thinking about diversity, it's important to understand what young people are consuming and what speaks to them. I don't think that we necessarily have to shift the ways we tell stories. I think that if you tell a good story, how you tell it, people will come to it, no matter how you choose to tell it. But it is interesting to see uh, the kinds of humor that people are gravitating to on TikTok and the whole dance craze like with people inventing dances and then the important genealogy of those dances and the battles over whether or not appropriate credit is being given. I'm really interested in that. I'm yeah. really interested in seeing how this generation values intellectual property. I think that they are well ahead of the game. And I wish more people in my generation, I'm Gen, I'm Gen X, understood earlier the importance of RIP because now that's the only thing that really matters. Everywhere I go, when I take meetings, people are like, do you own the IP? And uh, I do. And um, it's so important. And to see these young people understanding that a 30-second TikTok might become something more than that, that these are seeds that they're planting, not knowing how or if they'll germinate is incredibly interesting. While, while we're talking about these platforms, I'm just going to ask, because I think everyone would benefit from it and maybe people would learn not to try you on Twitter. What is the secret mm. to the, uh, to your level of Twitter clapback? <laughs> There's no secret. I'm just uh, petty, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, 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 an, it's an elite level. I feel like it's like you mm. and AOC where I just keep seeing, and it's not a coincidence. You're both women of color, but I just keep seeing people try you. And it's like, what do you think is going to happen here? Like, like, what do you think the yeah, result I is going to be other than you being humiliated in front of your friends, family, and all of humanity? Yeah, I always wonder, like, is it, do you want the, is it clout, as the kids would say? Or is it attention? Are you lonely? Are you sad? And sometimes I just say, like, are you feeling lonely right now? Right. Because this is the internet. You can address that need <laughs> in, in healthier ways. Um, I, you know... I'm trying to get better about this because my fiance is a good influence on me <laughs> and is encouraging me to not engage in, in situations that just make me angry or irritated. And unfortunately these days, Twitter is not fun yeah. for me. And what am I doing with my time spending this much time in a place that is not fun or satisfying or, you know, I'm not learning anything, but when people, come to me with nonsense. I really hate that they think that I'm just going to eat that shit and not do anything. Yeah. Uh, especially because I was bullied so badly as a child and you know, uh, who among us wasn't don't cry for me. But at the same time, it really did leave a mark of never being able to push back and never being able to say anything or being too timid to say anything. And now I'm still that shy person, but at least in the virtual world, when someone talks something, says something crazy, I can say something crazy right back. I can push back on the homophobia or the fat phobia or the racism or the combination of all of the above. And I will. And it does feel good on a petty level, but I also think it's important for people to understand that just because someone is different from you does not mean that you have the right to insult them and harass them and bully them. 
And, you know, hopefully that trickles down and outward so that people just maybe are a little kinder to one another. But it's not working. No, it's very bizarre. I mean, I, it, the only thing I can imagine is it's like it's like being a basketball player and just wanting to get dunked on by LeBron so that when the poster comes out of LeBron's dunk, you're in the poster. Because um, mm-hmm. there's no other rational accomplishment other than, like, you've been humiliated. I don't know. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's one of the I mean, it's one of the endless uh, sort of mysteries of the internet that I will never understand. Absolutely, and you know maybe they're just masochists because you know that's the thing. And maybe that's their kink. It, I honestly, I think the about thing is, that. Don't bring yeah. me into your kink non-consensually. <laughs> uh, touche, that's good the point. thing. Good point. Yeah, it's like yeah, there are so many people who are like coming on my kink with me, and I you can definitely point, pinpoint some of the people who are for whom this is clearly like a kink, like they're just. This is their thing. But the the thing about kink is that we have rules. You you know, safe, sane, consensual. And, you know, your kink is okay, but you can't foist your kink upon other people. And so, like, you know, when you see a couple walking down the street and, you know, a woman's leading her man around on a leash and he's naked except for, you know, wearing a cage on his cock. Like, good for you. But at the same time, you're incorporating everyone who sees you into your kink without thinking about how they might feel about it or what their experience of your kink might be. And on Twitter, we see this happening all the time in less explicit ways. But still, I just want to tell each and every one of these men, and it's always men, um, guys, just go to FetLife. Help yourself. I, you know, I feel like a lot of our problems with how we treat sex and culture right now stem from the fact that studio movies have no good sex scenes anymore. And, you know, mm-hmm. you can find sure you can find good sex in like, you know, the rare sort of handmaiden every five years that comes out of the indie world. We were talking about studio films being sort of just phoning it in across the board. Why do you think that studio movies are so afraid of not just sex, but romance, eroticism, showing people who actually like you? each other (laughs) because people don't understand that there can be narrative tension in joy and that there can be narrative tension in eroticism and passion and mutual like and or love you know we have this idea and we see it also in fiction that the only way to create narrative interest is through unhappiness and misery and conflict Uh, and i just think it's because we refuse to challenge ourselves and rise to the occasion and so we keep seeing this these just horrible representations of romance and, and sexuality. And it's, it's ridiculous because there are incredible writers out there who can write the sensual and sexual content that should be out there. And, you know, I think we really have to question a culture where murder is completely fine, but sexuality isn't. I think a lot about Black Panther, which I loved and how, Killmonger murders his girlfriend in cold blood. No problem. But we can't see any sexuality between Black Panther and um Lupita's character. Nakia. Yeah. And I think her name was Nakia. Yeah, it is. And um Io and Anika and all of these other characters. And It's just so frustrating. It's so, so frustrating. Have there been any kind of romantic or sexy films in the last couple of years that you felt like have gotten it right, have like really conveyed that sense of joy? It can be TV too, Mm -hmm. honestly. TV is doing better than film. Um, 
I'm just terrible at coming up with names on the spot. So I'll come up with it like at three in the morning. Send us an email. We'll add it to the show notes. We'll add it to the show notes. But yeah, I mean, there's been, there have been good sex scenes in the past couple of years, but they're so few and far between. They are so few and far between. It's incredibly frustrating. We have all these neutered characters running around, sort of smiling at each other vacantly instead of actually fucking, which is what most people do in their relationships. There, Come on. There's not even like kissing in movies anymore. Like I think about this all the time no. with the Marvel movies. I'm like, why are they all not just making out with each other constantly? Like, okay, you don't want to put sex in it for a family audience, but like they're beautiful people. You could have them smooch guys. It's a mm-hmm. real missed opportunity. Absolutely. And again, like there's so much death in those Marvel films and no sexuality. And, you know, I do consider it to be the Disney effect, but it's really weird that Disney is fine with murder. It's true. It's a really good point. The happiest happiest place on earth is strewn of bodies. Yeah, I mean, you look at like the history of the NC-17 and it's like, you know, maybe... 15 movies ever gotten an NC-17 for violence and 500 mm-hmm. movies got it for sex. It's ridiculous. Uh, we're talking a bit about comic Absolutely. books. Um, and I wanted to ask, you know, you have been uh, able to execute many writers dream, which is working on comic books with Marvel. But what is it like being mm-hmm. dropped into a world with these really entrenched pre-existing characters and these really deep mythologies and Wanting to convey your personal voice and tell the stories you want to tell, but also staying true to those really intense comic book histories. It was great. I enjoyed the experience. You know, you do have the constraints of working within the Marvel canon, but they give you a lot of leeway and they really allow you to put your personality and your point of view into the narrative and the characters. And so I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it was challenging, certainly, but... I I enjoy a good challenge and I loved that I was able to tell an explicitly black lesbian story and they did have sex. We love to see it. Um, We truly do. mm -hmm. Is there going to be an adaptation of y'all series in any other non-comic form, right? Like, is there like the TV version? I don't know. This might be a hope against hope of World of Wakanda. I, I have no idea. The comic division and the film division are separate en- entities right. at Marvel. Right. I'm going to have to put that and, out there into the world in a separate yeah. capacity. I would love to see something happen with World of Wakanda. I'm quite certain something will. Um, I wish I could do it. But, you know, the project that I'm working on now is called The Banks. Well, and it was a comic book I did for TKO mm-hmm. Studios. And right now they're shopping it around and... Um, I'm looking forward to writing that one itself. So that'll be fun. All right. So three more questions. These are sort of standard ones Mm -hmm. and they sort of wrap to the end. But uh, so I worked for Sidney Pollack uh, in the year before his death. And one of the things that he told me that that continues to blow my mind is that he was only interested in making movies about two subjects, love and war, Mm -hmm. because they were the two things that across millennia, we're no closer to understanding than we were then, which, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so favorite movie about love, favorite movie about war. My favorite movie about love is good question. Is a good question. It's a tough what question in fairness. It is a tough question because oh, yeah, my favorite movie about love is Love and Basketball. Oh, good answer. 
Gina Prince by the way. Yeah. Maybe the best yes, virginity law scene in cinema. Like that's got that's like really Absolutely. high on the list. Like she just nailed it. Gina Prince Bythewood, fantastic. Yeah, and it was so feminist. And then the ending where she ended up being the star basketball player. Mm-hmm. Ugh, love it, love it, love it, love it. And it was sexy. So yeah, I would say that. And my favorite movie about war. <laughs> you know I really liked uh starship troopers love it <laughs> love it that's a classic starship though troopers was so good it's true it's a really good movie and it's funny because i remember it when is. it first came out no one took it seriously and as i've gotten older i feel like it has earned this weird credibility as being a mm-hmm. phenomenal commentary on war but no one was talking about it like that when it came out which is such a surreal mm-hmm. track like sort of uh you know uh, sort of evolution for a film's response. Absolutely. I don't think people got it when it came out. Like, I don't think, like, it was not marketed to be this sort of, like, satirical, like, uh, everything's turned to 13. It was just like, oh, here's another, like, space bug war movie. Enjoy. Kind of on that same tip, you know, thinking through your history with movies, is there any single image from movies that has stayed with you for your entire life? And it can be, you know, a still frame of a movie, a particular edit, any any kind of uh, moments and frames that have really stayed with you? I think the frame that has stayed with me the most is... In Cape Fear, the original, mm. when they're on the houseboat and they're having that fight and it's just down to the two of them and you're just thinking everyone's going to die. They're all going to drown. And just there were so many incredible frame by frame shots throughout that entire scene. Like the, the, the just the space composition was flawless. And I think about that a lot. All right, final question. Uh, it's funny because we, we sort of started asking this question before this sort of world historic moment, but it feels weirdly more relevant now and, and frankly possible because we're all in our homes. If you could screen one movie in a simultaneous worldwide screening, let, let's imagine that time zones aren't an issue here. What's the one mm-hmm. movie that everybody should see together? The Color Purple. Right on. Mm-hmm. Right on. The Color Purple. And that is Roxanne Gay. It's been an honor. Thank you. Well, thank you, Franklin. Thank you, Kate. Thanks so much. From Luminary, the Blacklist podcast is a production of the Blacklist and Ninth Planet Audio. Our executive producers are me, Franklin Leonard, Kate Hagan, Han Sani, and Jimmy Miller. Gabrielle Horton is our lead producer. Nicholas Patel composed our theme music, and this episode was edited and mixed by Kevin Liu. You can find me on Twitter at Franklin Leonard, at Franklin J. Leonard on Instagram. Kate is that Hagan girl, girl, G-R-R-L, on both. And we, the Blacklist, are the, T-H-E-B-L-C-K-L-S-T. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.